Welcome to Podcast One. We hope you'll support our sponsors who bring you these podcasts absolutely free and with limited interruptions. And of course, we appreciate you listening to this show, which will get started in just a second. Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine and More. It's peak season for asparagus, which pairs perfectly with a light and crisp rosé. Many bottles of champagne and sparkling wines are perfect for adult Easter baskets. And they're really cute, too. My perfect brunch? Belgian waffles with extra whipped cream and a holiday pour of your sweetest rosé. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, Total Wine and More has you covered with 8,000 wines, 3,000 spirits, and 2,500 beers at always low prices. Cheers! Forbes Sports Money is brought to you by WordPress.com. WordPress powers 27% of all websites, including Forbes blogs. Get 15% off your new website today at WordPress.com slash Forbes. That's WordPress.com slash Forbes. This is Forbes Sports Money on Podcast One. And I'm your host, Mike Ozanian. This show is all about the business of sports. My guest today is Andrew Messick, CEO of Ironman. So, Andrew, I could do about probably 19 push-ups. I could maybe jog two miles, two and a half, somewhere around there, and, and swim, uh, I don't know, maybe a lap and a half. Uh, am I kind of Ironman ready? You just need to practice more, that's all. <laughs> um, I, I, my memory of Ironman, watching it when I was a kid, uh, was back in, in, the, in the late 70s, I think 1978, um, do I have that right? Is that about when Ironman started? The first Ironman race was in 1978, and that was the combination of the Waikiki Rough Water Swim on Oahu, the Around Oahu Bike Race, and the Honolulu Marathon. And give me a little bit of the history of how Ironman's progressed uh, over time and where it stands today. Well, back back in 1978, there were 15 starters for the very first Ironman race on Oahu and 13 people finished. Uh, then since then, uh, every single year there have been more Ironman or Ironman 70.3 finishers than the year before. Uh, we have 40 full distance Ironman races around the world and the half distance Ironman product, which we call a, an Ironman 70.3 we're going to have a hundred of those races around the world. And, and so from uh, relatively modest beginnings, uh, Ironman has, has grown to be truly a, a global, uh, a, a global brand and, and a lo- global competition and athletes all around the world, just like the original guys in 1978. Uh, it is a, a challenge to see whether, an individual can conquer the distance. And this, in essence, is really the true triathlete, right? This is the person that is excellent at running, swimming, and bicycle riding. Well, I, I wouldn't say that that Ironman is about excellence in swimming, biking, or running. I think Ironman and our real core values are around persistence and resilience and whether someone has the the physical and mental strength to be able to complete all three disciplines within a certain amount of time and uh you know the race doesn't always go to the swift and the strong it it often goes to the person who refuses to quit how many people do you reckon uh are real adherents to triathletes well, we're going to have about a quarter million athletes race with us at either Ironman or Ironman 70.3 this year. So, you know, and those athletes are going to come from 100 countries around the world. Um, but a quarter million is, is uh, you know, that's a big number. And, and they're of every shape and size. They're from every country, every color, every shape, uh, every gender. And, and, and ha- I'm sorry, I was just going to say, though, you know, how much of that is in the U.S. And, and how global is the participation? Well, a little bit less than a third of our athletes are from the United States or Canada, from really North American. And and the rest of them come from all over the world. We have uh, 
a, a very vibrant athlete community in Europe. Uh, Latin America has been growing rapidly for us. China is is emerging as as a place where there are more and more endurance athletes. Uh, but we've truly become we've truly become a, a, a global race series, uh, and, and it's accelerated in the last in the last five or six years. How many events do you think you'll put on this year? I think you know, from an Ironman and Ironman seventy point three perspective, you know, the forty full distance races and the hundred seventy point threes will, you know, really are what is on the docket. Uh, we'll have additional races in twenty eighteen. We we just announced and put on sale yesterday, uh, you know, a race in Colombo, Sri Lanka. Um, and and we'll have uh, we'll have some new countries as well. And, and Sri Lanka will be our fiftieth country that will that will have a race. Now, are you yourself somebody that gets involved in triathlons? So yes, uh, I am a enthusiastic and untalented uh, <laughs> age group athlete. And and so when I when I tell you that that uh, you don't have to be great at swimming, great at biking, or great at running to compete in our races. Uh, I am the proof of that. You know, I, I wanted to ask really as a way to lead into, you know, your your resume is it really very interesting and very diverse. Everything from uh, working at Sara Lee Corporate, Corporation to the NBA and uh, uh, AEG, of course, which is uh, uh, a huge uh, sports and arena company. They own the Staples Center and they own the Los Angeles Kings of the NHL. Just to mention one of the arenas that they own. How, how did your your career path take you to Ironman? You I mean it has been a a series of fortuitous coincidences? Uh, you know, I started my career working in advertising in in New York City after college. Uh, went back to graduate school, uh, was able to secure a job at McKinsey and Company in Chicago, worked for McKinsey for, for six years in Chicago and then in Amsterdam, uh, spent a good chunk of that time at McKinsey uh, serving Sara Lee Corporation, which was – so they were one of my clients. And, and when I was ready to leave McKinsey, I moved into a, into a role at Sara Lee. Uh, Lived in London with Sarah Lee, lived in, in Sydney, Australia with Sarah Lee, and, and ended up running one of their operating companies in Canada uh, when I was recruited by the NBA. And so the NBA was looking for someone to run their international businesses. And at that point, you know, I, I'd been running a company for Sarah Lee, I, and I'd worked and lived uh, all over the world. And, and so, and I was a sports fan. So I, I'd had a lot of the experiences that David and Adam were looking for in in someone to oversee the international businesses of the NBA uh, and did that for for seven years. It was fantastic. Learned how David and Adam think about the the management and the the development of a global brand, which turned out to be pretty useful for me here here at Ironman. Uh, had an opportunity to move over to AEG. I worked for Tim Leiwicki and Phil Anschutz when I was there. Uh, oversaw the sports division, which you know was the Kings and it's the LA Galaxy. Um, you know, the Beta Breakers running race, the the Amgen Tour California bike race, and and so I learned a lot about not different aspects of the sports business from basketball, but also mass participation in sports. You know, cycling and running. And and I was also both at the NBA and at AEG. I was a amateur age group triathlete. I, I did my first Ironman race as an athlete in 2005 in, in Western Canada. I did Ironman Lake Placid in 2006, qualified for the Ironman 70.3 World Championships as uh, a, a not very talented 42 year old. And but but understood the Ironman brand and was given an opportunity by Providence Equity Partners to to lead the company in 2011. And at that point, you know, I'd, I'd spent a fair amount of time in the sports business. I understood mass participation in sports. And and as a consumer of Ironman, uh, I, I understood better than most 
the the core brand values and and uh, and was given an opportunity to lead the company and uh, how can you say no to that and we'll be right back after I tell you about the curious thing that happened to FreshBooks on its way to becoming the largest cloud accounting software platform for small business owners in the world as a company they've managed to stay small while soaring to over 10 million users strong or is it the other way around has FreshBooks customer base soared because their company has stayed small? Named as a small giant on Forbes' list of best small companies this year, FreshBooks has been recognized for focusing on greatness over growth. By drastically simplifying tasks like invoicing, tracking expenses, and getting you paid online, and delivering award-winning customer service that usually picks up in under three rings, FreshBooks has changed how small business owners deal with their day-to-day -day paperwork. This is really only a fraction of what FreshBooks can do, and they want you to see more. To claim your 30-day free trial, no credit card required, just go to FreshBooks.com slash Forbes and enter sports money in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Providence Equity is, is one of those firms that I think for a lot of people kind of flies under the radar when it comes to investing in sports, but they have an incredible track record. I know they were one of the uh, early investors in I believe it was the Yes Network uh, for a while, and uh, they were they've been big in sports licensing. Uh, are they still involved in um, Ironman? No, no. We were we were sold to the Dalian Wanda Group in China in uh, November of 2015. But Providence, you know, they they were early investors in Yes. They were um, and continue to be investors in Soccer United Marketing. Uh, they owned Learfield Sports. They owned Patty, the the scuba diving company. They've, you know, they're they're smart investors, and they've been involved in in lots of different aspects of of the sports business over the year. And they were a very good owner of our company, and and were very supportive and very helpful to us as we as we look to to really turn Ironman from a small florida-based licensing company to a global organizer of mass participation events yeah please take me through that process you know because as you said the the, the company is has really changed and what has been the strategy uh from growing from a small licensing firm in florida as you put it you know now into a much larger global brand well there's been a couple phases of our growth and of our development the, the first of which was Providence, the the big insight that the Providence team had for Ironman was was that if you really want to be able to build and control and create a global brand, you have to have a certain amount of operating control to be able to ensure that you're delivering on the promises that you're making to your customers. And those customers could be athletes, those customers could be sponsors, those customers could be the communities in which you host races. And the licensing model that the Gills family, who, who owned Ironman before, before Providence, the licensing approach was a good approach, uh, and it was an approach that didn't require infrastructure, offices, a global staff of people, but there's limitations. And the, limit, the main limitation is that you don't really control the delivery of the brand, and you don't really control, and delivery of the brand is the brand for for your customers and and for most people. So Providence's vision always was you bring the licenses back in-house, you own and operate the events yourself, you build operating infrastructure in terms of offices and skills and um, and human resources. And and so that's really what I was focused on for the first five years that I was at Ironman is really becoming a global company that had global operating processes that was able to ensure the the successful delivery of events everywhere in the world and and was able to be able to sell and market and and, and operate events starting in in 2014 we we took the next step or we started to take the next step and and the next step really is is to leverage the infrastructure that you've built and so we had a network of offices around the world. We had boots on the ground in countries all over the world. And, and so we bought the Auckland Marathon. We'd already had an office in New Zealand. We owned a number of races in New Zealand. 
And and once you own races and have staff and infrastructure, the question you start asking yourself is, what else can I do with this infrastructure? What are the what are the other ways that you can leverage the fact that you've got relationships with funding agencies in New Zealand, you've got relationships with the city, you know how to close roads, you know how to be able to manage traffic, you've got relationships with sponsors, you've got relationships with your athletes, and you start saying, what well, what more can I do? And and so we bought the Auckland Marathon, which is was and still is the largest running race in New Zealand. And that experience, I think, convinced us that there's a role that we could play more broadly in the mass participation industry outside of long-distance triathlon. Long-distance triathlon is, is a great business. And, and, and at Ironman, we have 90-plus market share globally in, in long-distance triathlon. But it's also within the context of the larger running and cycling and triathlon universe it's a relatively small sliver of the industry. And our belief then and now is that the, the skills and the capabilities that we have operationally and from a sales and marketing and, and management of our, our host communities, that those skills are somewhat transportable and that the things that enable you to be a good organizer of a long-distance triathlon can also help you organize marathons and cycling events and, and other types of events. And so the first real proof of concept was we bought Lagardere's mass participation division in 2016. And that gave us mountain biking events and road cycling events and more running events besides Auckland. It gave us uh, marathons in Queenstown, New Zealand and in Bordeaux, France. And we operate the, the Hamburg Marathon in Germany. And we felt that there was more that we could do. Our new owners in Beijing, the Dalian Wanda Group, uh, felt that there was opportunities for us to be more ambitious and aggressive. And I think we view ourselves as an ambitious and aggressive organization. And so we had an opportunity to continue to build and acquire what we felt were valuable and premium properties. So we bought the Cape Epic. It's a mountain bike stage race in South Africa, eight days long, and you ride literally across across Africa. You sleep in tents. It's 800 kilometers and you know 50,000 vertical meters of climbing. It's super crazy and hardcore, and fabulous. And it's it's a race that um, sells out in less than a minute um, every year. And so athletes all over the world, if you care about mountain biking you want to race the cape epic so we bought that and and that is going to be the anchor for a global series of mountain bike stage races that we're in the process of creating uh, we bought the singapore marathon which for for years was the world's largest running event and and is one of the most important and prestigious long distance running events in asia uh, we just bought the rock and roll marathon series competitor group uh, and just closed that deal two weeks ago. And that gives us 30 marathons and half marathons uh, in in the United States, Canada, Portugal, Spain, the UK, Ireland, and China. And now a quick break to say at WordPress.com, they believe that businesses are the heart of our communities. They're the places we couldn't live without. Whether you're looking to create a website for your business or a personal blog, You'll make a big impact when you build your site on WordPress.com. No website experience is necessary because WordPress.com can guide you through the process. They have hundreds of customized themes. You'll get built-in social sharing. And if you're on WordPress.com, you immediately have a big leg up when it comes to SEO. On WordPress.com, you're part of a community with support 24-7 when you need it. Come see why more websites run on WordPress than any other platform. Get started today with 15% off any new plan purchase. Go to WordPress.com slash Forbes to create your website and find the membership plan that's right for you. That's WordPress.com slash Forbes for 15% off your brand new website. WordPress.com slash Forbes. And there's also FreshBooks, which is a ridiculously easy-to-use cloud accounting software for small business owners that saves you time and gets you paid faster, now used by over 10 million people worldwide. 
For your 30-day free trial, go to freshbooks.com slash Forbes and enter sports money in the how did you hear about us section. So it seems like, you know, really what the strategy has been uh, is that, for, you know, it's almost like if you compare it to, say, uh, a sports team and its broadcasting rights where it could go just go out and sell the rights or like what Providence did with the Yankees jointly and the S Network. They took ownership of the network, sunk a lot of money in, and then once that happened took, and they took control – of course, there's more risk, but there's also a lot more control and capital behind that growth. And then now that capital is being put into strategic acquisitions. Well, I, I think there's there's some, you know, there is uh, some validity to that analogy. Um, we think owning intellectual property is important. We we fundamentally believe that within the sports, media, and entertainment world. Big events are becoming bigger and and more important. And so when we look at our portfolio of races, what we want to have is is events that are at the top of the pyramid to to have events that athletes aspire to compete in and 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 want to be a part of and and that capture their imagination. And and so the mass participation industry has historically been highly fragmented, and, and we feel that there's opportunities for us to, because of our, the capabilities that we bring, that we can make those events better, and, and we've got a way that we can link them, uh, both commercially and, and also through a series of backbone infrastructure investments that we've made over the years starting with our own proprietary athlete CRM system. Uh, we have a proprietary operational and financial uh, you know, system that, that, that we've built from scratch. So we feel like we've got a, a whole series of unique capabilities that enable us to take a, events around the world and make them better. Can you, uh, for those of us who don't know, can you explain what CRM means, please? So we, we have a historical athlete database. So we've got the ability when someone signs up for one of our events, uh, we know that uh, that Tim Pearson, um, you know, whether he signs up for a 5K rock and roll event, the Cape Epic or Ironman Lake Placid, we know whether he's a new customer, we know what his race history is, we know how frequently he races with us. And so we've got within the mass participation industry, we've got an ability to really think more broadly uh, and, and to think more like data-heavy companies in terms of how many new customers do we have, what is the life cycle of those customers, and we've got the ability to to try to help shape their their experience with us from starting with their first race to becoming a more involved and engaged athlete within our portfolio of events. You're seeing a lot of uh, sports team owners and the leagues get into this big data now, realizing that really what they are is a huge brand with an incredible uh, uh, social media following. Um, are you able to yep. leverage this data into other things uh, economically, like retail, for example, uh, other ways to generate revenue? A absolutely. And, and that's an important part of what we're doing. Athletes will sign up for one of our races, often a year in advance. And during that intervening period, they're highly focused on training, they're highly focused on nutrition, they're highly focused on the equipment that's, that they need to race and to train. And we feel that there's an important role for us to play in all of that. Uh, one of the things that I think characterizes endurance athletes in general is an extraordinarily high level of engagement. And if you've met Ironman athletes who've signed up for a race, uh, they're very focused on it, just, just like people who are going to run the New York or the Boston Marathon. It, it becomes a very important event for them, and athletes think a lot about their training, their preparation, their equipment choices, so that when, when the day comes, when race day comes, they're as prepared as they can possibly be. And and so part of 
the promise that we make to our athletes is not just about what their experience is going to be like on race day or on race weekend when they come to one of our events, but more broadly, what can we do to help them be optimally prepared so that when, so that when the day comes, they have confidence that they've done everything they can to put themselves in a position to succeed. Iron Man's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle brand, really. It, it very much is. And, and so not only are we evolving as a company towards being more broadly involved in mass participation, we're looking quite consciously to be more involved in the full range of activities that, that our athletes participate in as they think about the training and preparation for, for their events. So, so a lot of that is data heavy. A lot of that is, is, uh, you know, requires us to continue to evolve into new segments of the industry. Uh, but we feel like we've got a, a unique set of skills, a unique access to our athletes and, and, uh, and a role to play in helping them succeed. The other leagues uh, seem to all be getting into video gaming. Do you see that in the future for Ironman? I, I don't know. Uh, we'll, we'll have to see. Um, as of right now, we've got plenty of things to keep <laughs> us busy. And, uh, but, but the, gaming, the gaming angle is, is one that, that might have applications in the future. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. At Farmers Insurance, we know every windshield collision has a unique sound. Beetle. Bird poop. Drone. Seen it? Covered it. Click for more. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance, Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state. Hey guys, it's Richard Blaze. And I'm Jasmine Blaze. Join us every week for our show on Podcast One called Starving for Attention. We're talking to anyone and everyone in the culinary industry. We're going to hear some spontaneous back-of-house conversation about what it takes to make it in different parts of the food business, global trends, and where the industry overlaps with entertainment. And play along with our games, trivia, and wacky moments. Pull up a seat every Tuesday on Podcast One the new Podcast One app, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts. This podcast is also brought to you by Braintree. If you think that your payment system exists solely for the purpose of transferring money from a customer's wallet to yours, think again. Braintree, rethink payments. Learn more at braintreepayments.com slash Forbes. Can you give me a picture of roughly how big in terms of net revenue Iron Man is and, and perhaps verbally create a pie chart for us in terms of uh, percentage of revenue, what the sources are? I mean, in terms of revenue, we're, we're, with the acquisition of CGI, we're approaching 400 million U.S. dollars a year in revenue. Um, the fundamentals of our business are, are solid. Uh, you know, we are uh, a profitable uh, and cash flow positive organization. Uh, our revenue, about half of it comes from athlete registration fees. Uh, people signing up for our races. Uh, the remainder comes from sponsorship. It comes from media. It comes from merchandise that we sell to our athletes and, and to their friends and family. Uh, it comes from the communities in which we host our races. But but the single biggest component to you know, to our revenue is uh, is athlete registration. What about streaming? It's getting so big in sports right now, um, and and sports that have. Uh found it a little more difficult to sort of find time on traditional broadcast TV have been uh, getting more involved in streaming. Um, are, are you guys using that platform at all? Very much so. You know, the, you know, we, we have for more than a decade uh, had, had live streaming for our Ironman World Championship in Hawaii. And, and for a race that for the professionals, you know, takes eight or nine hours uh, you know, conventional linear television is is not, at least on a live basis, is not a a consistently practical way to be able to to showcase our race. So, digital delivery of of content, race content, and other content is increasingly important for us. And and like I think a lot of rights holders, we're thinking about and thinking carefully about how do you how do you carve up your rights. What type of content should you keep on your own platform, and and what type of content should should we be licensing to the NBC Sportsnets of the world or the Red Bull media houses? 
What about your your stars or or the best triathletes that compete for you guys? Um, they don't seem to be or aren't, you know, like the household names like LeBron James in, in basketball, Sidney Crosby in hockey. I'm just saying that because we just had the NBA and the NHL finals. How can you get their names out there more? Well, I think that, that our, our elite professional athletes, Jan Frodeno, uh, you know, Daniela Reef, are it, in the endurance sports world, they are superstars. Uh, but the endurance sports world is relatively, you know, it, it continues to be a niche market, and 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 we are, you know, I think we would like to have a broader platform to be able to highlight and showcase what our elite athletes do, and and the the remarkable accomplishments of uh, of our athletes because from a performance perspective. You know, it, it truly is remarkable. Uh, and and I think that the digital delivery of content is a critical way forward to be able to highlight uh, and, and showcase you know, what our elite athletes are capable of. Andrew, what about social media? You know, I, that, that's, of course, always a double-edged sword. You know, good things, you know, they, they tend to uh, do great things for the athlete or the sport exponentially you know it just compounds but you know something negative exact opposite um are triathletes encouraged to go out there on social media and be active well i think both professional and age group athletes are very active in social media uh, largely because our you know our core athletes our customers are uh, very accomplished. They are technology savvy and, and they are deeply engaged. So we communicate often via social media with, with people who care about Ironman. Um, and that is, as you said, uh, sometimes a double-edged sword, but we would rather be getting the, the feedback from our athletes, even if it is, uh, often unvarnished, and and be in a position where where we can respond to to our customers and to our community, and make sure that uh, that that we're delivering at the, to the highest possible level uh, on, on everything that we need to. Do, do you, as the CEO, find yourself spending uh, time talking to triathletes and and finding out what it is, uh, what their expectations and hopes are, and, and perhaps even getting input from them in terms of. Uh, what Iron Man should be doing? I, I am extremely engaged in that. Uh, you know, I, I go to races all around the world. I compete in races all around the world. And an important part of why I do that is to be a member of the global athlete community and and to be able to to talk and to interact and to communicate and to get an unvarnished point of view from our athletes on the things we do well and in the areas where we need to get better. So, so I'm, I'm out there all the time and, uh, and, and members of our community, uh, know that they can be direct with me and, uh, and, and they are. How much has the acquisition by, uh, Dalian Wanda, the Chinese company, um, help your strategy i mean because these guys you know they're also involved in other sports like i know they're a part owner of the great spanish soccer team atletico madrid so i'm thinking they must have tremendous experience in the sports industry well they, they do and and they are a very ambitious organization and and that starts with with the chairman wang john lin and and translates all the way down um what has been very helpful for us is is to have a shareholder who is encouraging us to think broadly about the company that we can become and the company that we increasingly are uh, and and secondarily the the Chinese view most opportunities through an application to China and so a huge part of what we do all 
in evaluating all opportunities is to see what are the what are the implications for being able to leverage this in China. You know, China is is emerging as a incredibly important market for sports. And it's not just for television or broadcast rights of Western products, be it the NBA or the English Premier League or the Olympics, but but more broadly, in our in our industry, we see incredible year-on-year increases in triathletes, in runners, in cyclists, and and those athletes are competing both inside of China, but they're becoming increasingly important to races outside of China, and that destination tourism for sports events is becoming increasingly important and an increasing part of the rest of our business. And so you know, we have programs to bring Chinese athletes to Singapore. We have programs to bring Chinese athletes to Ironman races around the world. Uh, and if you look at the other big races, the London Marathon you know, had a 90-some-odd percent increase in the number of Chinese athletes applying this year. So, so we're seeing more and more Chinese athletes. We're seeing more and more opportunities to host events in China. And, and we're deeply involved in that. And, and as we think about the future, you know, there is no doubt that the fundamental demographic trends that exist in the world today are or going to result in more and more athletes, more and more races, more and more people that have discretionary income emerging from Asia, uh, Latin America, and other parts of the world that historically we've said are, are less developed. Um, but those are going to become vital vital markets in the next 20 years. And and we're now in a position where we've got the ability to to have a partner that is highly competent and uh, and motivated to help us. So we're pretty excited about that. And now for a quick break, letting you know I found the best way for you to buy travel. It's Upside.com. Here's why it's a great deal. At Upside, you save money on travel and you get a free Amazon gift card worth $100, $200, even $300 every time. You get savings and a big gift card, free. Here's how they do it. Upside bundles your flights and hotel together for one low price. Bundling saves a ton of money, especially on business travel, so they give you an Amazon gift card. Your company saves money and you still keep all your miles. And right now... When you use the code Forbes, you're guaranteed a free $200 Amazon gift card your first time. The code Forbes gets you a guaranteed $200 Amazon gift card. How can you not do it? Upside. Save big on travel and get a big gift card every time. Upside.com. That's Upside.com. Minimum purchase required. See site for complete details. And what about uh, the triathletes themselves that compete um, how much can they win? Do they win enough to sustain a living uh, as, as you know, just a competitor in Ironman? Do they have to have other jobs? I believe in a couple of years ago, you worked with them to change the uh, pay structure and to get more involved in helping the triathletes uh, be able to get more sponsors for themselves. Well, I would say that that none of them are going to make LeBron James and Sydney money. <laughs> But I think that reflects more on LeBron James and Sidney Crosby. Uh, but I think the best, the best, most competent professional triathletes uh, are are able to earn very good living, and and we you know we are we want them to earn very good livings, and we want them to be important, uh, want them to be important ambassadors for for us because of what they do and because of the example they set for for athletes around the world. I mean, how much can I earn if I if I, you know, what what do the top guys earn Ironman competitors? How much money do they make from your events and and you know, obviously you you don't know how much they, you know, personally get from endorsements, but what what would you be your guess as as what the top guys pull in? I mean, I I'd, I'd, I'd rather not guess, but what I can tell you is that you know, within our within our Ironman and Ironman 70.3 series, you know, we, we, we have, you know, around $5 million of prize money. 
and 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 we think that 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 you know, we've allocated that in a way that we think is 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 sensible. We have and have had for thirty some odd years you know, equal prize money for men and women, and and the top athletes, the ones who are you know, truly world class, um, you know, we believe lead very comfortable lives, and 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 we think they should, as befitting the you know, the competence and the competitiveness that they demonstrate. Is it stated before an event, if someone wins an event, how much money they'll get for that event? Absolutely. Oh, okay. So they know. So what would be like, what's the biggest event that you guys do? What's the top prize for that? The Ironman World Championship first place prize is 120000 U.S. dollars. All right. So now I have a reason to train. That's what I was just looking for, a little incentive to get in shape. Um, you know, what about all these other sort of... Uh, types of uh, competitions that have really grown. I'm thinking of like the Spartan race and, and things like that. How do you dif- differentiate yourselves from them? Well, I think that that the new, a lot of the new racing formats that have emerged, whether they are, uh, you know, color-oriented 5Ks or some of the obstacle course races that emerge, Spartan or Tough Mudder or Warrior Dash, are are very different but but we think are very complementary to the business we're in you know our our core business is in high engagement long lead time events and and the beating heart of our company is around events that people prepare for for six to nine to twelve months or more in some cases the the types of events that you see, you know, these formatted uh, 5K races or obstacle course races are, are fundamentally different insofar as they are events where athletes generally don't train as much and they generally make the decision to compete in those events much, much sooner. And so we think that they're largely – and largely and there's exceptions to this mind you they're lower engagement events mm. now we think that those types of formats provide great opportunities for people who perhaps haven't raced before or don't view themselves as athletes to compete and so i think our view is that anything that gets somebody to put on a race number and walk up to a start line in the long run is good it's good for the industry it's good for us because even if someone does a color run in muncie indiana some some portion of those people are going to say that was a great experience what's what's the next challenge for me what's the next thing i can do and maybe that's a 10k race maybe it's a half marathon but it's the first step in starting to really capture the benefits of being an athlete, being fit, being healthy, taking care of your body, setting goals, working hard to accomplish them. Those fundamental things are the building blocks that our industry is really based on. And and we don't really care how people start their journey um, because we think that over time, if there's enough people who are pursuing, you know, a a life around health and and achievement, that that the people will over time roll into, you know, our our marathons and our triathlons, and maybe some of them eventually will want, want to become an Ironman or an Ironwoman. A couple of years ago, maybe three, uh, you guys made a push uh, to uh, enhance the uh, online and television uh, coverage of the championship races. I think, yeah, it was both online and linear, if I recall mm-hmm. correctly. And I know you had a big thing with Ironman's, the 70.3 World Championship, uh, and you were working with NBC Sports Network. Tell me a little bit about how your viewership, both in linear and online, has progressed since then? Well, I think global viewership has has increased dramatically. 
and and that's a function both of of more people being engaged in in the sport of triathlon and in in the Ironman race series, uh, but also, you know, we are on television in China. We are on television in in more places as we've looked to distribute our content more broadly. Uh, we think that this year uh, we're not quite ready to announce you know our plans for our world championships, but we're looking to take another big step this year and and try to make our races, especially our championship races. Uh, available in in a better format to more people, so media is going to continue to be important for us in the future. Do you think you could get a a deal with NBC? I mean, does, is NBC giving you a rights fee now, or is it more or less where you're just getting exposure and perhaps selling ads to it at this point? Uh, we've got we have a, a a deal that has evolved over time with with NBC, um, but but and economically it's it's. Uh, it's increasingly interesting to us. I don't want to say more than that. Yeah, but I mean, you guys are, it sounds to me like globally, if you aggregate all of the eyeballs you guys get, both online and uh, through linear television, that there's a potential there for a big TV deal. I, I'm, I'm saying this in the context of, you know what, you look at what some of these teams in the U.S. get as rights fees, you know, even the ones that have... The, uh, their viewership numbers are at the bottom. They're getting twenty to thirty million dollars a year, and I, I don't think their aggregate number of eyeballs approaches the Iron Man. Uh, so you know, it would just seem to me, given how important sports content is and how valuable it is, that this could be a big part uh, of your revenue growing forward. We, we agree. I think there's no doubt about it. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This podcast is brought to you by Braintree. When it comes time to check out, consumers have come to expect a wide range of payment options. Or, to be more accurate, there are a wide range of consumers out there, and every one of them expects you to offer them their preferred payment method. Oh, sure, you can look at this as a hassle, but Braintree would suggest that you look at it as an opportunity. When you rethink your payments, it's easy to let your customers have it their way. Braintree. Rethink payments. Find out more at BraintreePayments.com slash Forbes. And there's also Upside. The smart new way to buy travel is Upside.com. You save money and get a free Amazon gift card every trip you buy. Use the code Forbes and you're guaranteed at least a $200 gift card your first time using Upside. Save big on travel and get a big gift card. Upside.com. Minimum purchase required. See site for complete details. Do you have any ideas what, what the worldwide, let's say, if you were to aggregate all of the eyeballs that watch Ironman competitions during the course of a year, what that number is roughly? I have not done that in a while, and I don't want to give you a wrong number. Okay. I appreciate it. Um, what, what about the fact that, you know, it would seem after a while there, there may not be many competitions or, or competitors for you guys to buy up? Uh, at that point, the growth is going to come internally. Uh, wh- where do you see that growth coming from? You know, we've got a we have our first race in Costa Rica this weekend. It it was a sold out race. It's overwhelmingly uh, consists of athletes from Central America, uh, and and those by and large are new athletes. We had our first race in Peru recently. We had our first race in Colombia last year. We have our first full-distance race in Argentina coming up later this year. Uh, I, I mentioned Sri Lanka, that uh, we have our first race there next year. You know, There continue to be many, many parts of the world where we haven't got to yet, and, and that there are, we believe, uh, opportunities for us to play a role in all those markets. So... Acquisition isn't the only way to grow. We think there's still a lot of white space out there. Andrew, somebody that was going to be looking down on planet Earth at Ironman five years from now, how would they describe the business model at that point in time? Well, I would say that our company in five years will have an increasingly global pool of athletes. We'll have an increasingly 
global pool of partners and the our business will not just be focused on how do we execute events but it's more how do we manage and help our athletes with their journeys you know our athletes you know set these incredibly ambitious goals for themselves to determine and to find out what they can do what's possible for them and I think in five years, our company is going to be much more focused on how do we help these incredible individuals achieve their goals. One thing I always and, want to know, do you guys ever check for uh, athletes using performance-enhancing drugs? We are signatories to the World Anti-Doping Code. Hmm. I, I, never, uh, I was never really sure about that. Um, well, this has been very informative, Andrew. I, I uh, really appreciate you coming on the show. Um, and hopefully in the uh, not-too-distant future, we could have you come back and uh, give us an update on all the progress. Uh, that would be a pleasure. I would like that very much. That's it for this episode of Forbes Sports Money. Thanks for listening. If you want to get in touch with a comment or question, please email us at sportsmoney at podcastone.com. That's O-N-E dot com. At Farmers Insurance, we know the sound of a perfect hot air balloon landing. And a less than perfect one. Seen it, covered it. Click for more. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance, Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state. At the border, I'm Ed Donahue with an AP News Minute. At the roundtable discussion today in San Antonio, Texas, President Trump heard something he said he never heard before about life along the border. Many people are dying. And the danger of living here, unless you know exactly what you're doing, is tremendous. This is Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Where are the people in Washington to stand up for these children, these women, these senior citizens? Where are they? Bring them down. Mr. President, let the Democrats come down to Brooks County. Let them come to any of these ranches. Let them see these bodies. Let them see the skeletons. We have the photographs. Attorney General William Barr says he thinks spying did occur on Donald Trump's presidential campaign, suggesting the origins of the Russia investigation may have been mishandled. Scientists released the first image ever made of a black hole, revealing a fiery ring of gravity-twisted light swirling around the edge of the abyss. One scientist said science fiction has become science fact. I'm Ed Donahue.